Hello and welcome to Beyond Markets by Julius Baer, a series featuring conversations with experts to share recent market developments, key insights and strategic inputs from around the globe. Greetings. Today is December the 13th. I'm Mark Matthews, Head of Research Asia at Bank Julius Baer and welcome to our podcast. It all depends on the Fed. What I mean by that is the world could be a very different place tomorrow, Wednesday. That's when the Federal Reserve will conclude the Federal Open Markets Committee meeting that starts today. And when the meeting is concluded, it'll announce its latest policy, release a short statement. Chairman Jerome Powell will hold a press conference. All will be strong signals for what it wants to do in the next few months. In this meeting, too, 19 Fed officials are going to contribute their forecasts for the key economic data like GDP growth, unemployment, inflation, but most importantly, interest rates. That's the famous dot plot. And the meaning behind the term is that each official's forecast for what they think interest rates will be is a dot, and they give an estimate for what they think interest rates will be at the end of the next three years, as over the longer term. The Fed adds all the dots up and takes the average of them to give a picture of what it thinks interest rates will be. Now, Various Fed officials, including the chair himself, have already strongly hinted that they're going to be raising the Fed funds rate by 50 basis points tomorrow, rather than the 75 basis points that they did in the last four rate hikes. But they've also alluded that raising rates in smaller increments will allow them to keep rates higher for longer. Jerome Powell said as much in a speech on November 30th. He said, and I'll quote him, The time for moderating the pace of rate increases may come as soon as December. Timing of that moderation is far less significant than the question of the length of time it will be necessary to hold policy at a restrictive level. End of quote. Well, the renowned Irish playwright George Bernard Shaw once said, the minority is sometimes right, the majority is always wrong. And I thought I'd just throw that in. Because Julius Baer research is in the minority as far as interest rates go. That's because we think that Wednesday's 50 basis point rate hike will be the last rate hike of this cycle. Even if the Fed itself isn't saying that, in fact, its dot plot for interest rates might even get revised up. But just remember, the officials at the Federal Reserve are human beings, like all of us. They're not perfect. They're just as prone to making mistakes as anybody else. And as a case in point, this time last year, the dot plot showed those 19 officials forecast the Fed funds rate today would be 0.9%. Well, it's not. It's 4%. So what's to say their forecasts for a year from now, which is at 4.6% right now, even if it gets nudged up on Wednesday with the new dot plot, that could still be way too high if inflation comes down a lot. And the reason our economist David Cole has gone out on a limb on this one, is because he does think there are multiple signs that inflation is coming down quickly, and they will become more obvious as the months progress. The most obvious one for now is, of course, the oil price. Brent crude at $73 a barrel is down 40% from what it was in March. It's the same price it was at the beginning of the year. That's going to make a huge difference all over the world for inflation, including in the United States, where 8 out of 10 people drive a car. The national average gasoline price is down 35% from where it was in June and at $3.30 a gallon, where it was through most of the first half of the last decade. But do you remember people complaining about gas prices back in 2011 or 2014? I don't remember that. 
there's many other inputs into inflation that are going to benefit from these low oil prices too. Airfare has gone up in large part because of jet fuel. Electricity and heating, well, over half of that still comes from fossil fuels in the United States. How about food? You have to transport it from farm to table. Food can be quite bulky. You need diesel to power those trains and trucks, marine motor oil for the barges on the rivers. But also, you need to process the food, make raw corn into cereal. That requires energy. Some foods have to be kept chilled. That requires energy, too. And growing the food requires energy. Livestock, cows and chickens have to be fed with grains. Grain needs energy to grow. Over half of the world's food uses fertilizers to help it grow. Well, you need ammonia and nitrate. Those are byproducts of oil. And I'm just using food as an example. There's so many other things. Almost all of the material in your running shoes comes from oil and gas. Smartphones, shampoo, golf balls, toilet seats, bandages, nail polish. You get the picture. The items are in the thousands. So the falling oil price is a very good thing for inflation. And by the way, oil isn't the only price that's come down. Have a look at some of the other commodity prices. Cotton is down 50% from where it was in April. Well, 75% of the clothes we wear have cotton in them. Coffee's down 32% since September. Americans drink on average three cups of coffee a day. Used cars, airfare prices in the United States, both down 15% from their peaks in January and May, respectively. I could go on and on. The stickier part of inflation isn't so much in the goods. It's in services, particularly housing services, as represented by what the Bureau of Labor Statistics calls shelter. And shelter has by far the largest share of the core consumer price index at 42%, because for the average household, of course, the largest expense is the home they live in. Shelter contributed about 1.4 points of the 1.7 percentage point acceleration in the annual core inflation between October 2022 and October 21. And the problem is that a lot of the housing data is lagged in the way it shows up in inflation because the government measures it through rents. New rents, yes, but also existing rents. And most tenants' rents change just once a year, so of course they won't be reflected in the current market prices. And the Bureau of Labor Statistics also does its rental survey not every month, but just at every six months. And it calculates the price change using six-month moving averages. So the actual rent can take many months to show up. But what we can see, even in the October data, which itself is quite lagged, is the property market is generally quite weak in the United States. The decline in existing home sales this interest rate cycle is faster than in any of the previous six, and they'll probably continue to go down because contracts to buy previously owned homes, known as pending home sales, those fell for a fifth straight month in October. They lead existing home sales. And in October, 25% of new home contracts were canceled, up from 8% at the beginning of the year. Some buyers no longer qualify because of today's higher interest rates. Others are just walking away because they think prices are going to go down. Economist and Nobel Prize laureate Paul Krugman wrote in the New York Times last weekend that if we were to use market rents and property prices in the official shelter measure, core inflation would be less than 3% today, not over 6%, which is the official reading. Fed Chair Powell acknowledged this as well in a speech I mentioned earlier, the one he gave on November 30th. He said as long as new lease inflation keeps falling, we would expect housing services inflation to begin falling sometime next year. 
Well, earlier I said it all depends on the Fed. That's not entirely true because today is the day we are going to get the consumer price index for the month of November. Consensus of economists is looking for it to go down to 7.3% year-on-year from 77 in October. Let's see what happens. But given all we can see that I mentioned before, how goods prices are falling, and it's inevitable that weaker property prices show up in the inflation data too, it is a safe bet to say that inflation is coming down. And indeed, we at Julius Baer look for it to be about 3 3.5% in the United States this time next year. The crucial thing is whether the Fed sees that too, or will it wait until inflation is really that low before it starts reacting to it? We'll know more tomorrow, but it's interesting to see a Wall Street Journal article yesterday from Nick Timrouse, a journalist who's very close to the Fed, and I'll quote him here. Cracks are beginning to emerge among Fed officials over how stubborn inflation has become and what they should do about it. And Nick Timmerhouse continues, The divide falls into two camps. The doves, who think high inflation is likely to steadily decelerate and want to minimize potential job losses, and the hawks who more readily embrace stiffer measures to fight inflation. The hawks worry that without a weaker labor market, price pressures would stay unacceptably high because employees would win bigger raises that keep paychecks and prices rising in lockstep. And the doves worry that the central bank might raise rates higher than needed to reduce inflation and cause an unnecessarily deep economic downturn. End of quote. Well, our own economist, David Cole, feels exactly the same way. His key message is that monetary policy is on the verge of becoming overly tight. In fact, there's already signs it's going too far in the slowing of the strong credit activity that's helped offset the negative monetary policy this year. That's why it's important David is right, that the rate hike cycle is coming to an end. And if it is, he thinks the United States will avoid a recession. Our model puts the chance of one over the next 12 months at 35%, and it'll clock in a relatively unimpressive 0.5% GDP growth rate next year instead, which, by the way, is even lower than the 0.9% we forecast for the eurozone. That's one of the reasons we think the dollar strength has ended, and that in turn would be very good news for markets, given how precisely the dollar and world stock markets have moved in opposite directions over the last year. Why would the United States avoid a recession? Well, for one thing, the labor market is still very strong. There's still 1.7 jobs available for every one person currently unemployed. And as we saw last week in the Institute of Supply Management's November Service Sector Purchasing Managers Index, the service sector is still very strong too. In fact, at 56.5, it's the highest it's been since the end of last year, up from 54.4 in October. Economists were looking for it to go down to 53.5. Well, rounding off with markets, it's no surprise to see the S&P down 2% so far in December when it was up 14% just in the last six weeks. Our chief investment officer, Yves Bozon, thinks, in fact, it's an excellent thing that U.S. equities are consolidating. He says that's what they need to do after such an amazing recovery, and he thinks this consolidation should be over by Christmas, and then we can rally into year-end and the beginning of next year. So don't expect a down December, but do expect a volatile December. And as for next year, well, we can hope for calmer waters. But if we just think back over the last six or seven years, there have been so many big and unexpected and unusual events, Brexit, Trump, COVID, Ukraine. Who knows, maybe the planets are 
weirdly aligned these days, and we're in a time of great volatility, like in the 1970s when the dollar was depegged from gold, and then there was Watergate, and the OPEC oil embargo, and the Iranian revolution. There was a lot going on back then. There's a lot going on today, too. People always call the 1970s the lost decade, but that's not entirely true. The S&P actually returned 115% in the 1970s, 8% per year. Not bad, but three-quarters of that return was in the dividend. The Tokyo Stock Exchange index returned 450% that decade in dollars, or 19% per year. Of course, I'm not saying Japan's about to go up 400% over the next 10 years, but something out there will. That's what makes markets so interesting and profitable to invest in. This is Mark Matthews signing off for now. I wish you a great week ahead, and we'll speak again next week. Goodbye. True Connections is a monthly podcast where we talk to entrepreneurs across the globe. We delve into the details of how they started their careers, their journeys in building businesses, and hear about some of the challenges that they faced along the way. Search for True Connections on your favorite podcast player. You have been listening to Beyond Markets by Julius Baer. If you like what you heard, subscribe to our show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. To learn more about Julius Baer, our people, our latest thinking, visit us at www.juliusbaer.com. We will be back with a brand new episode soon. The information and opinions expressed in this podcast constitute marketing material and are not the result of independent financial or investment research. Please refer to www.juliusbear.com forward slash legal forward slash podcasts for further important legal information.